It was uh, just um, fun worship team. I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but I was in the back, just like kicking it. You know, like the word y'all was doing y'all thing. So thank you, worship team, for blessing us. Amen. Amen. From probably since I was about three, you could tell how I was doing based on my facial expressions. Most of y'all know me. Uh, what, 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 what you would find usually on my face was a smile. I am a pretty happy-go-lucky person, and for whatever reason, um, a smile seems to be just like what flows out of me. And so um, I've noticed a few things over the years. I've noticed that there's occasionally times where something can steal my smile. I remember the first instance, the very first time I was in my apartment complex in East Cleveland, apartment complex probably about four times the size of both sides of Pingree Park. And our apartment complex had a gate around it, and everyone that walked to and from the store could look down into my apartment complex. And I'm riding alone in my apartment complex, none of my friends with me, and I'm kicking it on my bike, and I see some homies up top. And I don't know them, they don't know me, but I'm smiling. Because in this moment, I can see that they actually might be some new friends. These are some, some, some kids just like me. They're on their bike, I'm on my bike, and so maybe we'll kick it. And I see them kind of circle a little bit. And then they come down to the gate, and we start riding our bikes in my apartment complex, kicking it, riding our bikes. So now I'm ready with my new friends to show off one of my bike tricks. I hit a wheelie. Uh. And the big guy, right when I hit the wheelie, grabs my seat and yanks it. I fall to the floor. Don't know really what just happened because in that moment, I'm like, I wheelie all the time. I'm the bomb. What's going on here? And when I get up, I see that they're now taking my bike. And I go to give chase, and I just see him do like this. And a fear gripped me, and they rode off of my bike. I remember walking in the house, and my family didn't hear a word from my mouth, but they said, what's wrong? The smile was gone. The, the joy that's usually present was, was taken for this for this moment, and, and I remember my grandmother calming me, holding me, and saying some words that I think flow from, from our scripture today, from Psalm 91. Would you turn with me to Psalm 91 as we look at what it looks like to still have joy, what it looks like to worship in the midst of adversity, Worship in the midst of adversity. I'm going to read Psalms 91. And it starts, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. To dwell, 
To dwell means to, to, to find yourself in an intimate place, to stay, to remain, to, to be steadfast, to be rooted in, for it to be a, a place of safety. That's why we call our homes dwellings. It's supposed to be the, the one place that you go to in your life where there's calm, where you find rest where you actually find your center. And God says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, to dwell means just to to stay there. And sometimes we can get caught up in the tasks of dwelling. For me, dwelling can look like prayer. It can look like silence. In the midst of prayer, trying to listen to God, it can look like listening to worship music. But if you get caught up in the tasks of trying to achieve what it means to rest in God, to dwell in God, you miss it. Because what God wants is an intimate place. So the question is, what does an intimate place with God look like for you? And he says, that is, the, that is where you dwell. That is where you're going to find the beauty of his shelter. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. A dwelling is something that, that is a place of rest. But it's also a choice. Because a lot of y'all have lived in a bunch of places. I won't talk about some of the apartments that we have in our community. I won't talk about some of those places that you've lived at different times. But you, you chose where you live. Yo, I like your house. Some of y'all houses, I'm, try, I'm trying to do a house swap. You know what I mean? You chose where you live. No one forced you there. It was, it was, a, it was a, a, a willful volition. It was you saying, I would love to make this place the place by where I find rest. And so while God is asking and looking at us, seeing his shelter as a dwelling place, he also says you choose it. You choose God, not not that God doesn't have this amazing grip. And y'all know we reformers. We went through a whole chapter of Ephesians. So, you know, God grabs your heart. But there's a response that he asks. And it's now that I've showed my beauty unto you. Now that I've allowed you to see who I am. Will you respond by resting in me? And so there's, a, there's a, 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 a human, there's a response from us to dwell. But then there's also something where he says in that same verse one, will abide in the shadow of the almighty. The shadow of the almighty. Now, you got to choose where you dwell, but you ain't cool enough to make God's shadow. You see, God is saying, I am going to be the protector here. It is my shadow that will cover thee. It, it, it is a reference that you find many times in Psalms and in chapter 17, chapter 36. Even Jesus talks about it in Matthew 23 when he has this image of a bird. And the bird spreads out the wings so that all the ones that she shall protect will come up under her wings. It's this beautiful image of protection. 
But even still, you got to choose to get under the wing. And so there's this this great marriage, even in the first chapter of, okay, where are you going to choose to dwell? You're going to choose to dwell in the most high. If so, great, because you are going to be covered by the wings, by the shadow, by the protection of God. Dwell in me and I shall protect thee. Dwell in me and I shall protect thee. Verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress in whom I trust and whom I trust. Y'all know every sermon. I got a little something from my youth. If you are between the ages of five and 17, stand up. Please. Would you please stand up? Because, you know, when they teenagers, they, they be too cool. So they like, you ain't going to tell me what to do, pastor. Would you please stand up? Would you kindly repeat after me? Parental figure. Thank you for setting a godly environment. But someday I have to choose. God for myself. Go ahead and have a seat. Great job, y'all. Great job. Verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, it is an, an, an intimate focus on I. These first two verses are very personal because it uses the personal descriptor of the individual and it uses the personal name of God. The Hebrew term for God here is Yahweh, the term that communicates his personal nature, his relational characteristics, how he loves, longs to be connected to us. But this is not like an awareness of God. This is not you being sheltered because you believe God exists. This is not you knowing that God does things in this world, but you don't want to simply commit to him. This is an intimate connection that is close. And he's simply saying, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust. So then God goes on in verses three through eight to share with us what his protection looks like, because once you are saved and desire to dwell in him and he covers you with his shadow and protection, he's going to give us an image, some some clear understanding of what God's protection look like, because we're trying to understand, Lord, what does it look like to worship in the midst of adversity? Well, it starts with understanding God's love and protection. Look with me with verse three. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings. You will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look through your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Snare of the fowler. This is a, an image of one that goes around catching birds. 
one that is setting up to catch birds. And the imagery is one of Satan trying to catch you and I. The, the, the snare of the fowler is a trap that's set. And uh, this famous pastor, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, um, delivered a sermon uh, in March of 1857. And I love it because he described this snare so accurately as to the way Satan moves. And what God is trying to show us is that as he covers us and cares for us, part of his protection is exposing Satan's plan. So the first way that that Satan will move, that the fowler moves, says the fowler snare is intimately connected with secrecy. Fowler's not trying to put out a trap in broad daylight. Here, come get a snack, birdies. I don't have any hunting like good examples, so y'all just going to have to bear with me. But I, but I do know what happens is they put down the net, cover it with leaves, conceal the trap, set you up for the okie doke. Satan is smooth. Satan is, Satan is slick. He wants to see us all trip up. And so this trap is not going to be out in the open. It's going to be deceiving. And God is saying, hold up. But I'm going to make you a little more attuned to it. I'm going to make you aware. Second thing that, that happens with the approach of Satan. The snare of the fowler is generally noted for its adaptation. What does that mean? That means that what he puts out for one bird is going to be very different than that for another. The way Satan might be planning to trip you up, that ain't even my struggle. But the way he might trip you up might be very, and Satan is crafty. You know, you know when you start getting sucked into an argument. You know, you know when your spouse ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing and you want to be like, God, you don't see him. God, you don't see the way she act. You, you know when you're about to be sucked into an argument that ain't, but, but, but it's hitting all your triggers. It's hitting all, I know, stay, stay looking at me. Don't look at your spouse. Stay looking right here. You, you, and you know what can tend to set you off. And Satan knows too. He ain't God. He ain't almighty. But what he's done is set some stuff out. See how you did. Oh, Ken likes that. Okay, let me put that out again. Set something out. Oh, Paul, you like that. Okay. See, what he, what he does is he tempts us. And so he, he's secretive. He tempts us with things that might be desired by us. And then lastly, the fowler snare is frequently connected with pleasure, profit, and advantage. He, he uses bait that leads to death. This is, this is not Satan's approach to just like make our day bad. He wants us dead. And so as we are enticed by something that we know is not godly, um, family, God is trying to say, nope, actually, I'm going to deliver you from that. The entire plot 
And, and maybe I, I might be alone in this, but there have been times when I knew better, did it anyway, looked back and was like, dude, you fell for that again? Hey, knew better, fell for it. You again, it was the same trap. And, and God is trying to say, okay, but I'm saving you, but I got you, but I want you delivered. Will you walk in the shelter that I'm providing? Will you stay up, stay up under my wings? Will you choose to dwell within me? And so God provides some, some deliverance. He also in verse 5 says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Notice there's a, there's a difference between you will never experience and you will not fear. He could have said, you will have nothing to fear for there will be no terror of the night. And you will have nothing to fear because there will be no arrows that fly by day. Actually, what he says is in the night, there's drama. In the day, there's drama around you. There's always going to be drama. But guess what? I want you to in the midst of it, not have fear. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm giving up sermon stuff. I'm supposed to save to the end. Why? Because death has no sting over the believer. Death has no sting. What does that mean for our kids? It means that pain may come. Hurt may come. But that our ultimate joy takes place in Jesus Christ and in what he will do in our lives and our hearts today and what he shall someday fully allow to take place when we are with him face to face in heaven. Some people say that's a cop out. I'm going to explain three, three ways why that's not a cop out. But first, I want to make sure that you get that he says, I am going to give you an ability to not have fear, even while terror is happening all around you. Why? Because I have your focus being steadfast on me. It is it is very tough. Um, I, I, I don't know if it was last sermon or not, but my wife has been listening to a book. Um, by the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. And this is a, a group that brings attention towards the church that has been persecuted. Persecution means like, you represent Jesus, we will beat you. You represent Jesus, we will stone you. You represent Jesus, we may take the lives of your family. You represent Jesus, life is going to be tough for you through our political system. It, um, it, it is a, a sad day when in some of our Christian circles, we communicate that God's protection means that you will never experience persecution or never experience pain. It, 
It, it, that's, that's not what God is communicating. He's trying to say, when your focus is steadfast on me, me being the only person who has the control over death and life, I am the one who determines eternal life. So if there's anyone that you should fear, it is me and me alone. When you are steadfast on that and you know that the person who has control, all power, loves you, can end this world in a blip, died for you, sees you as his righteous daughter, and would send his son for your sake? How they scaring you, baby? You got daddy right here in his fullness loving you. And so, yes, terror happens and things go down. Arrows are direct. You never hear of armies talking about randomness. Arrows have a direct thing in sight. And sometimes Satan seems to be targeting your life. And God says, yep, and you ain't got no reason to be scared. I know I'm only on verse 5, y'all. Don't worry, I ain't going through every verse. Verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. He's trying to, he's trying to put our minds towards a heavenly time to say, hey, I know the wicked seem like they're they doing well, and I know you even being attacked, but fear not, someday they shall be judged. Someday what's coming to them will come. You stay focused and steadfast on thee. I got a, um, a slide because I was talking to Kelly. She's downstairs today. Kelly is an engineer, um, and she used to, correct me, Andrew, am I right? She used to do some, like, working with safety stuff in cars. So in your car, you have... Um, a, a, a bunch of stuff going on. You know, this is one of them state-of-the-art drawings right here. You know what I'm saying? State-of-the-art. Um, so you've got safety features going on that you're not even aware of. Like, you know about the airbags. You know about the seatbelt. But did you know that there were, like, so many, like, bangings of the head on dashboards they start putting foam behind the dashboards to make it safe, softer? Did you know that like you got your anti-like bricks? You got parts of your car that's made to crumple so that it can take the hit of an accident. And you thought that the auto shops was just trying to get over. No, that's to save your life. There's something in your car called a, a sway bar link or a sway bar. Found out about this when I had to replace it. <laughs> kind of mad. But the sway bar is there so when you turn, the car doesn't flip over. You see, all these things are working together to keep you safe every time you get in the car and you don't even know it. You're not even aware of it. And God is saying, a car, do you know who I am? You can step out here tomorrow and a plane fall on you on the street. That's how crazy this world could be if it were not for my care. I am protecting you. 
I have so many things orchestrated around your well-being that when you do get hurt, you should say, man, in a broken, fallen world, it hurts painfully. God, it hurts. But thank you, Lord, for that's all that I'm getting. Thank you, Lord, that that's all that I'm that 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 I'm experiencing, that your love protects me, is with me. And so what are you saying, Pastor? Are you then saying that, like, if that type of protection is going on, that 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 we can kind of like. Just like count on always being cool and safe. Nope, not at all. Actually, Satan was the tricker and lied to us into trying to believe that. Look at verse 11 and 12. Because I, I truly believe when pastors and leaders sell you that stuff, um, they are false prophets. They are not representing the gospel and they are tarnishing who Jesus is. They are falling in line with Satan's acts. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That might remind you of something. In, in Matthew chapter 4, bring that up for me, um, brother. There's, there's Jesus is, is fasting and, and he gets tempted by Satan. Look at what Satan says. Verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on the other hand, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is Satan doing? Satan is saying, "Okay." God said he protects you. God said he got you. So if you believe that God will protect you, go on out there and test it. Jump. If you, if you believe God protects you, nothing should ever happen to you. You should always have a great life. You should always be safe. You can do whatever you want because God got you. Why, why does Jesus respond the way he does by saying, again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why? Because Jesus knows that what Satan is saying is true. Yes, God will protect me. Yes, God does have me. Yes, I can know that God is my protector. But God is also sovereign. God is also in control. And the moment that I begin to seem as if I have more control than God, and I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm going to go do this. You protected me, right? All right, God, I'm going to go test this out. You got me, right? Now I'm in control. Now I'm running things. And God's sovereign hand is always protecting us, but even when we experience pain, he's saying, but yet I still love you. Yet I'm still in control. Yet I'm still sovereign. You don't even need to test me. You know that I love you and protect you. And so, Pastor, help me reconcile these two things. Help me reconcile a God that keeps protecting me, but yet I experience pain. Help me reconcile those things. Look at verse 12. It says, 
on their hands. They will bear you up. Uh, excuse me. I'm on the wrong slide. Before I read that, because I, I did skip around a little bit, but I just don't want to take lightly the pain that has been in this room. Our church has had a, um, an interesting year. I've been blessed to, to transition our church through Pastor E going on to get his Ph.D. And you guys have been like just amazing to my family. But the calls that I've received because of some of the pain and some of the experiences you have had, it's been weighty, y'all. You know, and I and I am so thankful for the way this body loves on one another. But if I could just run down a short list of just the past six to eight months, we've had cars stolen, tags taken off cars, tags taken off cars. I got about seven sheets that say tags taken off cars. Um, y'all know they get us. License plates taken. Computers stolen, the lawn equipment that provided for a family stolen for a business, kids' bikes stolen, TVs stolen, homes broken into, loved ones passed away, and and this is just within our church body. Like you guys also love our neighbors well. And so you enter into the pain when your neighbor's house gets broken into as well. Like that list keeps running. I was the sister cleaning, was cleaning the church. She said, yep, uh, what you guys going to be talking about? And I told her like, you know, adversity, worship in the midst of adversity. And she was like, oh, yeah, stole my truck, too. It's like you, you, you mentioned something. We've experienced our share of pain. We've experienced our share of trials, of of adversity. But God is with us. Look with me at at verse 9 and 10. And then we're going to jump to read uh, 13 on. Verse 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Verse 9, because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is your refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come to your tent. God is trying to let us know that ultimately he is with us. Not only does he communicate what he wants to do for us and in us, He ultimately says, not simply what I provide you, the things that I give you, the care that I want to help you with. What I want to ultimately give you is myself. 
Look in verse 15. He says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. In trouble. It is a it is a very tough thing to reconcile because I don't want trouble. I just want the trouble to not take place, period, and you to be with me. Can we do that? You know what I'm saying? Like a date night with no arguing. Can we just kick it? It's my fault, boo. It's usually my fault. Um, But he says, I will be with him in trouble, which means that no, you don't need to fear because I'm with you. But you're going to experience some stuff. And sometimes the question is, what is the thing that would trouble you most? Because what Satan is doing is constantly tempting you to find out what that is. What would what would rattle you the most? I, I hate to even dream of some of the things that that plague our mind and cripple us and debilitate us. That's what the fear is. The fear spoke about in these scriptures frees us to no longer be courageous, to no longer be his people. It, it seizes us up and God is saying, calm down. I'm with you. I'm with you in the midst of this trouble. I'm with you in the midst of this pain. I'm with you in the midst of this hurt. And ultimately, it will not win because I am with you through eternity and you will be with me. It is a a um, a sobering thing. I, I, I remember the first time and I probably shared this some years ago. Um. That like, you know, like little stuff happens with, with your kids where like, oh, man, they like pinch themselves and they cry. And like, you know, um, they don't get something that they want and they cry. But I, I remember one of my kids like finally getting walking down and they just took off. You know how the hips move. You know, they ain't running. The hips just waddle side to side. They took off, took off. But they didn't see that tree root. Smack. Got up, and it felt like two hours before they breathed. Just, you know, just, just like. And I just remember, as a father, there was nothing I could do but, but hold them. But say, I'm with you. I can't take this pain away. I can't I can't just make it all better. But what I can do is embrace you. What I can do is allow you to feel my love for you. What I can do is let you know it's okay. You are not alone in the midst of this pain. And that is what God is trying to communicate to us over and over and over again and saying, I've also shown myself, I've also proven myself, I've also demonstrated that to you, that you've been through some stuff, and I was right there. And I'm going to continue to be 
right there with you. So how do we worship in the midst of adversity? It's knowing that God protects us, but also knowing that in the midst of adversity, he's still with us. He is still with us. I don't, I, there's some things I just don't, I just don't question. We, um, we had a, a, a conference we went to. Um, I know I'm going to get these pictures out of order. And Boo going to kill me because she ain't one of the pictures, but you look cute. Um, Jake, um, um, James, would you mind pulling up the pictures? The picture with um, uh, first Rebecca and I. Because when you got a picture of you and Boo that look good, you just got to be like, oh, she looking cute. Girl, girl. Okay. But then go to the one of like, like a whole group of us. So we are at a conference down in uh, Atlanta, the Front Porch Conference. And uh, we don't know this lady, but we, we threw her in a selfie. Um, so, so we are, we're at this conference. And at the conference, there's um, like multiple levels, whole nine. Well, the restaurant is at the top of the conference. And we, we um, go to get in the elevator, and the elevator has glass all around it. So now when it takes you up, like... What, Matthew, 20, 20 stories, 15, sto- 15, 20 stories, like you see it all and you like are going up. How, how many of you, when you go in an elevator, start checking this, the metal like, is this, is this going to hold? You know, start pushing on the doors. Are we good here? You know, like I, I, I could see outside and not once questioned my safety. Why? Because I had been in many an elevator before. I've, I've seen what they do. They take you from one place to another, and they are, for the most part, pretty safe. I didn't question for one moment, am I going to be safe? God, family, is trying to show us that I got you. I protect you. I've I've shown myself faithful. I'm with you in the midst of any type of pain that you will experience. I love you. Will you still choose me in the midst of pain? I would never downplay the effects of the pain that some of us have experienced. In years past, we've lost some loved ones. In years past, there's been some divorces that have taken place. In years past, there's been some pain. But I, but I, I, I land some of our encouraging time on the one who's known pain beyond what any of us could ever understand. Jesus was, was punished, ridiculed, mocked, beaten, last breath taken on a cross. And some would say, well, where's your God? He doesn't seem to be protecting you, doesn't seem to prevent you from all this stuff. But we're thankful that the story didn't end with his last breath on the cross. That Jesus Christ's story continues on as he conquers death. And we see that even through the worst of pain that we could have imagined, God had a bigger plan and was ultimately 
using even the trials that Jesus went through for a greater purpose. You see, family, the, the question is not like what what can I what's going to stop my worship? The question is, while I'm worshiping Satan, you keep you keep doing whatever you need to because I'm on I'm on task. I'm on goal. I'm focused. Worship is what I do because of the God that I serve. And you better come with a new plan. You better come with some new snacks. Little Debbie's ain't working today. You better try something new because I am focused on Christ. Family, I, I, I pray that this reminds us of the need to tell others about Jesus. Because I, I want people to, to experience his love. I want them to experience his care. We want them to experience his presence in the midst of pain. It is very difficult, and some of you have done it. It is very difficult to talk with a loved one about hope, about peace, about joy, about all these things when they don't believe it. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you sitting in the room perfect, but somehow you're able to wrap your mind around what's going on. And family, us telling others about Jesus gives them a sense of stability in Christ where he is with them in the midst of pain. So I'm thankful for this body. I'm thankful that we all enter into pain. I have story upon stories of people showing up to others' houses and praying and just being and just sitting and taking care of meals and dogs and cards and so many things, stories upon stories. And I'm thankful that that Christ in you leads you to love one another. But there's going to be a time when you're alone. There's going to be a time when when, when the touch of a friend or of a spouse is good, but it's just not enough. And my prayer, our prayer is that Jesus being with you would be your foundation. Let us pray. God, we are thankful for you. You do so many great things that blow our minds away, but somehow when we experience pain, it seems to stay with us. If I could share all the many ways you've blessed me since I was six or seven, but somehow that bike being stolen still stays with me. Would you, God, not allow pain to overshadow the beauty of who you are? Would you allow us, Lord, to know that you desire to protect us and you do protect us and we are not in control of how you will protect us. But, Father, we can trust that when we do experience adversity, that you are still with us. Lord, we are thankful for salvation, which comes through Jesus alone. Would you root us in the beauty of who you are? It's in your name we pray.